HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by PopMenu. Learn more at popmenu.com slash HRN. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a better egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st slash HRN. This week on Meet and 3, we're jumping into a world filled with fizz, iridescence, and deliciousness. We're talking about bubbles. It came from the air gas truck. Yeah, no, I never thought about it before that. And I think it's emerged as a bulbous tea shops, a site of Asian American youth uh, identity building. We're called the invisible industry because these products you don't really see, but they're around us in every way, um, every day. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Fundraising is not often learned in culinary school, and it's not often taught on the job. Fundraising usually happens before you've been hired, or behind a door you've never opened. When it comes to raising capital to open your next venture, or in a day's fucked up market, reopening your same venture, you'll need to exhaust every channel at your disposal, and then you'll need to get creative. Today's guest is just that, creative options for funding. With all funding opportunities and lease agreements for that matter, it's up to you to ask every question you can think of, run every scenario, and read the finest print and ensure your business model can sustain the financing agreement you've entered into. So that was just our basic warning that today's episode is not sponsored. So in the the interest of full transparency, we're having... um, we're having InKind on, and they offer a unique way to finance your business. We have um, Johan Munisinga. He's the founder and CEO, but we encourage everybody to make sure that any financing that they take is um, something that support is supported by their business model. With that being said, tell us what your business model is, Johan, and how you help to fund restaurants. Yeah. Hi, uh, Jenny Knox. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, as as Alex said, uh, funding is really critical right now. Um, we for restaurants, uh, whether that's to reopen uh, after this hellish year that we've had, um, or um, I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, in today's environment uh, for new restaurants to open um, into second generation spaces that um, that are that are closed during the pandemic, and so. 
Um, InKind, we've been around for about five years um, and we started the business really out of um, my um, wanting to support uh, local restaurants uh, in my community. And um, I had a tech company and when I sold that, I uh, had some extra money and I thought, hey, what can I do to help uh, open great restaurants in my neighborhood? So I started investing in restaurants in the in the very traditional model of you know, having equity in the restaurant and getting paid out of the profits of the restaurant to pay myself back. And I did about uh, 30 of those personally um, all over the country and um, mainly here in Washington, D.C. Um, but, uh, but and then I actually realized that there was something really broken about restaurant finance. Um, and so my husband and I, uh, we opened a restaurant incubator um, in Washington, D.C. And the idea was that we could help chefs. Um, learn the things they don't necessarily know about opening a restaurant. And uh, we ran that for five years. And we had a, uh, and the idea was we would then finance them as they uh, opened their own spaces. And we had a, a chef, incredible talent, incredibly talented chef who was in there. And he had, we found him a little 18 seat, uh, second generation restaurant space. So he just needed $50,000 to, to open there. Um, so he said, Johan, will you invest $50,000? And I really, um, at that point, kind of, you know, saw the, the typical finance model is broken. Um, so I didn't want to become a partner. You know, I didn't want him working 100 hours a week at the restaurant and, you know, any profits, you know, coming to pay me back. Um, and I didn't want, you know, him to have to make decisions about does he make a distribution or does he buy new plates? Um, and I didn't want to lend him money because I knew that restaurants don't generate a lot of, uh, cash, you know, and so paying back loans is difficult. Um, so we, we created in kind in that moment. Um, I said, Hey, let me do this. I'll, um, I'll buy food and beverage credit in your restaurant. So all you, and I'll go sell that to people to pay myself back. And, uh, then you just have to serve food, which you're going to do anyway. And you're gonna do a great job of. Um, and he, uh, he said, yeah, that sounds great. So we signed a little contract and, uh, I bought a whole bunch of food and beverage credit. He was able to open his restaurant, uh, without any partners and without any debt, um, and turned out to be a very successful restaurant. Uh, and, um, customers came in and used their credit and that's sort of how the in-kind model was born. Um, I think we've done about 500 restaurants now, uh, in the exact same model. And which restaurant was that? Uh, it's, it's since closed. Um, he, he had it open for three years. It was called Himitsu, um, in DC. Got it. Got it. Cool. So that was the first deal that you guys did. And then, um, and now you said you've done 500. So tell us how, you know, you you keep on referring to the traditional model. So by that, you mean like you get a bunch of investors and then you pay them back X amount. Is that, is that what you're referring to? Just so like our listeners are clear. Yeah. Yeah. So traditionally when you're, you know, when you're opening a restaurant, um, you find the place and, um, and then you put together a, a deck and you go to friends and family and people in the neighborhood and you say, Hey, you want to invest? And, uh, there's typically two two classes of, of shares in the restaurant. So, you know, the owner operator um, has, his, you know, class A, I'll call it, and then the investors have class B. And so the investors invest a million dollars, let's say, to, to, you know, to build out the restaurant. Um, and then they get paid. Usually it's somewhere between 80 and 100% of the profits from the restaurant um, till they're paid back that million dollars. Um, and then there's something called the flip. Um, and then, you know, the owner is making, 
call it 60% of the profits and the investors are making 40% of the profits after that or something like that. Um, yeah, so that's traditionally how it's done. And, um, you know, restaurants usually uh, cost a lot of money to build out, right? And so usually when somebody opens a restaurant, it's a combination of uh, equity investors um, and then also the landlord uh, who puts in some TI to help with improvements to the space. So you guys come in much later than that because you you don't start until 30 days pre-opening. So at that point, right, then the restaurateur has built everything. They've done the lease with the landlord. They should be. Um, tell us a little bit about, about that, like how you come in and, and, and what kind of percentage of, of total fundraising you guys are usually putting into a restaurant are they doing the last five percent with you or 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 greater sums yeah there's there's sort of a a pre-covid and a post-covid answer so pre-covid um you know if it's a first-time restaurateur opening and they don't have any other restaurants that are currently open then uh, you're absolutely right alex we wait till 30 days before the restaurant um, is opening and um, before we fund, so they still have to find other investors or they still have to, you know, negotiate with the landlord. And, and really, our funding generally, like as a rule of thumb, is about $50,000 per million dollars of uh, expected revenue that the restaurant's going to generate. So if it's a $2 million a year restaurant that they, uh, they're hoping to open, then our funding is about $100,000. Um, and so what's happened, though, Post uh, COVID, or it's happening right now, is that um, you know restaurants are really expensive to build out. So you're opening a you know a bakery, a 1,200 square foot bakery, you know with all of the HVAC and the plumbing and all the infrastructure and MEP work might cost you a million bucks, you know 1.2 million maybe. And so you know we would in that case provide I don't know 100,000 probably at most. Um, so you have to go and raise. You know the landlord's giving you 200,000, so now you're raising 800,000 or something like that from from outside investors. Um, what's happened now with the pandemic, though, is that there are so many empty spaces. I think the latest uh, uh, survey I saw said that there was 150,000 empty restaurant spaces in the U.S., which already have all of that HVAC and plumbing and MEP work done. So what we're today able to do actually is fund the entire opening between us and the landlord. Um, and that's, I think, really the opportunity that COVID is creating is like right now is a great time for a new operator or, 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 to, or existing operator to expand into new spaces because they can do it at a fraction of the cost. Right. Are you seeing that um, traditionally landlords would, you know, would staple on a key money request on a on a space that had venting and kitchen equipment or whatever and those kind of things and are they are they foregoing that it's tr- truly i don't know the answer to that question i'm asking if you know <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um it's an interesting time because landlords um sort of always had the uh you know the position of power uh pre-pandemic right they they could you know really charge key money uh, to take over spaces. And there was a lot of demand, you know, to take those spaces so they could do that. Now there is not nearly that much demand and, and landlords really want operators, you know, they can trust and will pay their rent. Um, and cause they, they had so many losses during the pandemic. And so, yeah, we're seeing, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm actually right now in the process of negotiating on two 
second gen spaces in Austin, Texas, where I live now. Um, and in both cases, we're actually getting money from the landlord to take the spaces, um, which, you know, would have been unheard of. <laughs> They're paying me to take the space. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that that'll ever happen in New York, but I think it's nice that it's happening yeah. somewhere for people. So go to Austin, Texas. They'll pay you to take the space. That's what we just learned. Um, so tell us a little bit, like, why would somebody um, tell us a little bit about the differences between maybe taking like a traditional loan or like a merchant cash advance for somebody who needs capital versus the type of funding that you provide? Yeah. And, and I think, uh, Jenny, like your disclaimer at the beginning was absolutely important. You know, like people should definitely look into the financing that they it makes most sense for their particular need. Um, and, you know, merchant cash advances are, are one of these um, uh, very, very tricky ones. I personally, like, I think it's, it's, they're very harmful um, unless absolutely used in, you know, very, very specific scenarios. But merchant cash advance for, for anybody who doesn't know is basically where, um, uh, uh, you know, there's a big company, Square, Toast, um, American Express, they give you money. Um, let's say they give you $100,000 and then they take some percentage of your credit card sales, um, call it 10%, or 15%, something like that, until they're paid back. Um, and then they're, um, you know, and they get back, call it 115,000. So the, you know, the actual interest rate isn't, isn't terrible. It, it's really, it's high, but it's not, you know, but the problem is that it really, really affects your cash flow. So if you're a restaurant, you know, typically cash flow is really, really, really important. Um, and if you're using that to pay rent, let's say this month, then it's almost impossible that you're going to have enough money to pay rent next month when you only have 85% of your cash flow. Um, so it really gets, uh, it's kind of like payday loans. It gets restaurants really into a deeper and deeper hole, um, taking more and more of their cash flow. So, uh, you know, if you're using it maybe to expand or to increase revenue, there's, it's possibly okay to do, but, um, but really I would be really, really um, uh, careful um, if I were a restaurant uh, taking a merchant cash advance. Um, the other other ways are loans. You know, um, the SBA has some great programs um, for restaurants. Um, to typically, it has to be collateralized by something. Could be equipment in the restaurant. Um, could be the building. Um, if you want to buy the building, um, those take a little bit longer, and you want to work with the local SBA bank. Um, but you know, those are, are low interest, good loans. During the pandemic, actually, the CARES Act um, gave, I think it was six months of forgiveness for those loans. It actually, they actually, the government paid the principal and interest. So those are good. Those are a great financing option. Um, it's a little bit hard to get right now, even during the pandemic. Um, I was trying to buy a building uh, to put a restaurant in, in in August in Austin, and the bank called me and they said, hey, you were just not approving any loans for restaurants at the moment. But I think that'll change, uh, hopefully, in the next couple of months. Um and then, you know, there's, there's the equity investment. I, I think the, to me, the, the key is, you know, cash is scarce in restaurants, uh, but product is not. So if there are ways to, um, you know, to really get, to not pay, to not take money out of the register or to not take money from, you know, from, from the bank account of a restaurant, like, which is what a loan does or a merchant cash advance does, you know, a rewards network is probably the biggest merchant cash events um, maybe right now. But, you know, all of those companies, actually, they all failed um, during COVID because their restaurants, they put a lot of negative pressure on their restaurants. Like if you required money from a restaurant during the pandemic, 
you were you're going to put them out of business. Um, and then that's what happened. The restaurants closed and those loans went bad. Our during the pandemic for us, we had 450, I think, um, or so restaurants and all of them except for one have already reopened. Or, um, and so, you know, I think that's that's important for a, for a restaurant operator to really understand. It's like, what is the cash flow pressure that this loan or investment is going to put on my business? Tell me about, um, obviously, you're talking a lot about the cash flow. How does, how does the cash flow affect it when... 10, 20% of the customers that come in are on dining credit and eat for free and essentially for free when they're there because they've already taken that money. The restaurant's already taken it and now they have to provide the food, the drinks, the service, the rent overhead, the electric, all those things. How does, how is that not hitting cash flow? Yeah. If that were to happen, the restaurant would go out of business. It would be a really bad model. It's sort of what happened with Groupon. Right, Groupon would fill your seats, and um, you'd have a lot of free customers. And you're absolutely right, Alex. In that case, you'd have to pay all of your overheads, and you're not getting enough cash flow to do that. Um, so, where Inkind's model um, is, you know, is very, very, very sensitive to that. So, um, in Yardbird here in, in DC, where um, where I'm sitting outside of right now, because we they just opened last week, but we looked at their redemption rates for Inkind. Um, and it's around 1.9% um, of their of their revenue, which is comes through from in kind redemptions. Um, we we never we basically never buy. We know when we buy credit and we sell the credit, what the redemption curve is going to look like. We know in the first year is where most of the credit is going to be redeemed, and it's about 30 to 40% of the credit that we buy and sell gets redeemed in that first 12 months. So at no point will we sell credit or buy credit so that more than 5%, and that's kind of like a, we never want to exceed 5% of the restaurant's revenue is coming through in-kind credit uh, redemptions. You know, typically we, we like to see it like around 3%. Uh, and we'll, we'll hold back our, our credit. So if we see that redemptions are, um, are, are getting too high or creeping up, we just will stop selling credit uh, that we've bought in that restaurant um, or, or slow down the sale of the credit so that the redemption rates come down. Um, so that's one of the things we're very, very careful on. So you got, but you guys are also a business and you also want to make back whatever loan that you put out. So how, how are you balancing, how are you balancing that? Yeah. And just, uh, for just, uh, so the lawyers on the call don't get mad at me. We're not, a, we're not a lender, right? So we don't loan money. Um, we don't ask for money back. Uh, and we're definitely not a lender. So we buy, we buy credit and then we, uh, we sell that credit. Yeah. And, but we'll hold it. You know, during the pandemic, we're holding credit for we underwrite for to about twelve months um, before we sell our credit. Pre-pandemic, it was probably more like six or seven months. Um, as the world reopens, we'll probably go back to that six or seven months. But but we won't. We just don't buy more credit. You know, so I think going back to your your original question, like, you know, I, I was talking to a bar in Melbourne, Australia. We have some restaurants there, and the guy said. Hey, can you give me a million dollars? You know, uh, this is great financing. And I said, no, you know, like the problem is if I buy $2 million in credit from you and then I, you know, sell it to people, all of your seats are going to be full of people using in-kind credit. You know, so we really, that's a lot of our underwriting is to figure out, okay, how much credit can we sell that won't affect the uh, the cash flow of the business? And then I think there's a second part to that, to answer that question too, which is, um, really, really sort of complicated math. But basically, if somebody was coming into your restaurant and spending $1,000 a year, 
and then they buy a in-kind house account, they actually now spend $4,000 a year. So they, they spend 80% more per visit and they pay and they come in two and a half, two and a half times as often. So even though like there is uh, that customer is using credit when they're coming in because they're spending so much more each time they come in uh, and the way you spend more in a restaurant is usually ordering wine or cocktails, right? Things that are low labor and high margin. Um, it actually sort of works out um, either way. So the revenue increases. So it's not like we're taking 5% of the million dollars in revenue the restaurant would have been doing. We're actually like representing 4%, but the revenue is now, you know, a million fifty thousand dollars So it increases the revenue as well, which is why it makes it really, really easy um, on the cash flow impact to the restaurant. So, and what happens um, if you're not able to sell enough credits for this restaurant? And I know, and tell us a little bit about the expectations for the restaurant partner to market the house accounts as well. Yeah, we, um, we, we, we have in our contracts with restaurants the ability to, uh, to sell credit back to them. And um, it usually, actually, we, we don't do it practically unless there's some um, default, you know. So if, for example, they stop taking credit, for example, then, of course, you know, they can't, they can't continue to participate with us. Um, or if they, um, you know, they don't participate sort of in, in what's in the contract. It's all clearly laid out. But there's not really a concern around selling the credit. We, we have a, a very, very robust uh, marketing engine um, that we bolt on. Um, to, to every restaurant that we work with and really like become a lot of their digital marketing we, we end up taking on and doing for them. Uh, and we don't, we, don't, we don't do that just to sell our credit. We actually do that to increase um, customer visits, to let people know about their new patio hours or delivery options. Um, ultimately, you know, our asset that we have is credit in a restaurant. And the more valuable, the more desirable that restaurant is, the more valuable our credit is. Right. And so we do a lot of things to help market the restaurant, to give them, a, you know, uh, to get more customers in, to make the, the restaurant more desirable. Um, and so we don't really have a concern around selling the credit. You know, we underwrite looking at do people like this restaurant? You know, we look at Google reviews and we look at Yelp reviews and we look at Facebook likes and Instagram followers. And, you know, we see all of that. And we as much as we can, we eat the food. We but try those to go things to the aren't happening until after they're open. Right. So yeah, if you've so invested a hundred thousand dollars in a restaurant that projects to do two million in the first year and they like a lot of restaurants don't hit their numbers, yep. then there there must be some something must happen, right? Do you just do you eat that that amount no. or do so, you require the restaurateur to pay you a certain um, fixed rate if they're not hitting the number of sales? No. How does that no, work? So- no, so in that in that case, you know, basically as long as the restaurant doesn't close, um, you know, if they close, then obviously we can't sell credit to a closed restaurant, and then also people who bought credit, you know, it's not a great not a great experience for them. So, our what we do in, in that particular case is we do everything we can to make sure the restaurant doesn't close, and we actually are very very good at it. Our loss rates are are very low, and like for example, with an independent restaurant that we're working with, on a daily basis, we'll take the rent that they owe their landlord, you know, out of their account and will pay to the landlord at the end of the month. So we don't charge a fee for that. It's the exact same rent they would be paying anyway. But it basically 
forces them or enables them to, to pay their rent on time. And the number one reason that restaurants are forced to close is because they get three months behind on rent and then the landlord sends them an eviction notice and they have to pay three months of rent, which they don't have, and they get locked out. So none of our restaurants are, that we work with are behind on rent. Well, they, during the pandemic, it's a little bit different, but call it pre-pandemic, are behind on rent. So none of them are closing. So even if it takes us longer to sell the credit uh, because you know revenue is a little bit lower or it's slower time or there's a pandemic going on so we can't sell credit, it's okay because as long as the restaurants stay open, you know, we'll eventually sell our credit, right? And that's the outlook, outlook we take. Cool. And explain to us, because we, um, we did talk to a couple of friends of ours in the industry who have used you guys, and they did mention something about difference payments. Can you explain to us and our user and our listeners what that would be? Yeah, we don't do that anymore. Okay. So pre-pandemic, um, there was a weekly target uh, that we would set. And uh, if the restaurants... Um, basically we used to do in-store collateral. So if somebody were to put a, uh, you know, work with us, then they'd have to sort of put something in their store to market, um, the house accounts, um, during the pandemic, obviously people aren't going in store. So we stopped doing in-store collateral and we do everything online. Um, and we actually, so those, those payments were really there to, to ensure that people were putting the, the collateral out. And when they weren't, then, you know, we would basically say, Hey, you're not putting the collateral out. So you have to pay us some some amount, which was a difference between the weekly sales goal and um, and what was actually sold, uh, but we actually don't we don't do that anymore. It's not we, uh, it's not even in our contracts. Okay, so that, I mean, because that's sort of that would be similar to sort of like the cash flow, um, you know, exactly issue, right with yeah, the, and, ca- and, the merchant cash advance kind of thing. That's what I was I was curious to hear. So, and that's not coming back post pandemic. No, no, it's, it's it's um it's yeah. Ultimately, what happened was during the pandemic, you know, we had all of these. Technically contractual, you know, we were able to to take uh, that money from the restaurants, but it was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, you're going to put the restaurant in the business. So we, we what we did was we innovated ourselves to figure out how to sell the credit digitally. And now we're so good at it that we don't need to uh, to have that buyback anymore. So tell us a little bit about you just said you're so good at it. Tell, I mean, like as somebody who has an e-commerce business, I want to know, what are you doing? What are you doing digitally to attract customers and to get them to sign up for your app and buy credit? Yeah, you know, the, the I think the number one um, sort of marketing uh, solution that e-commerce businesses already understand is, you know, if you go to Lululemon's website, um, it'll trigger, it'll ask you to put in uh, your email address, right? And that way, if you don't order something, they can send you an email and have you uh, order it. Right. Um, and, and engage with you. And I think restaurants used to used to, you know, have little uh, fish bowls and they'd put people put their business cards in and then you'd they'd create email lists um, and they'd engage with them like that definitely is not happening during the pandemic. And usually it's a lot of work for the restaurants. But what has happened during the pandemic is people are going to restaurant websites much more frequently than they were before because they're trying to see if they're open, they're doing online ordering, all these things. So we just took, you know, the best practices from e-commerce, you know, from the Lululemons of the world and um, and applied them to our restaurant partners. So if you go to one of our restaurant partners' websites, there'll be a pop-up. It'll um, tell them, you know, it'll say like, hey, enter your email address to win a $250 gift card, you know, to come back to the restaurant. We then put them into custom email workflows. So you can't just collect email addresses. You have to engage with customers. Um, so we build personalized workflows to that customer. So if somebody had clicked on the hours, they might get an email about what the hours are for the restaurant, you know, and they go into a series of engaging emails that are specific to that restaurant. 
Um, and eventually the goal is to get them to order a delivery or to uh, come into the restaurant. And then once they're in the restaurant and we know that and they've experienced it, then we try to sell them a house account. Um, and, uh, and that gets them on our app. And, um, you know, so that's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a e-commerce workflow to get people to come in and spend at the restaurant. It's just an individual restaurant or even a restaurant group can't build that. But since we build it at scale with our own custom backend, like it, it's sort of, uh, we just uh, adapt it for each, each restaurant partner that we work with. So then every restaurant partner that you work with gets access to this work, to essentially to the email marketing without having to pay extra for it? Or is that part of like the funding? How does that piece work? Yeah, it's all part of the funding. Um, and we don't, we don't do it for anybody that we don't fund. So, you know, people have approached us and say, oh, can you, can you do this for us? And we just don't. Like our, our model is that um, we fund a restaurant and then we kind of really, really work with them um, on their marketing. And um Usually our models actually, you know, restaurants work with us for the funding because it's, you know, it's good capital for them. But then they always stick around with us and like, and because of the marketing, you know, it's just like it's marketing that they can't, can't do on their own. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even when they're making adjustments to the menu. That's why we're so excited to introduce Pop Menu. It's a restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into your regulars. Pop Menu is a full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. And that starts with a dynamic, interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start and a mobile-friendly website design. They have automated marketing and integrations that build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Hotmenu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need and puts the focus back on what matters most, the people and the food. Yeah, like the marketing piece. Leave it to the experts. Make it automated. That's what was so interesting to us about Pop Menu, especially from running an e-commerce business, is once a guest comes, it automatically sends them follow-up messages so they come back for more. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, you get 100 bucks off your first month. Plus, you lock in that one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash HRN. That's 100 bucks off your first month at popmenu.com slash HRN. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andreas calls Just Egg mind-blowing, 
And Bon Appetit says, it's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st slash hrn. And I was curious about what happens after, so I took $100,000, I took $100,000 funding from you guys and you've sold, you know, you've sold all the credit. So it it typically is like, uh, you typically sell, yeah, yeah, 200,000. Tell us how that piece works and then tell us what happens after you guys recoup everything. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's always uh, to, to give you a hundred thousand, we take 200,000 in credit. Um, We, a hundred and like 40,000, sorry, 40,000 that will never get used. So 160,000 of that credit will get used by customers over a three-year period. Um, we know that, but we'll 40, sell. 40,000 never, sorry, 40,000 never gets used? Just because the customer yeah. never redeems it? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's called breakage. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and it's it's one of those double-edged things. So, you know, restaurants sometimes like it. They're like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I don't have to serve that food. But on the other hand, you kind of want customers to come in and eat and continue to come back, right? So it's we it's just kind of like we don't discourage customers from coming in, um, and but it's just naturally you know people buy the credit and maybe they move or you know they something happens and they don't they don't use it, um, and and part of the key to that is we sell these house accounts at such high dollar amounts, you know they start at ten times the per person check average, so they're meant to be used over multiple visits. Um, and so so the, there's if, a minimum on the quantity of house account that a user can buy. Yeah, exactly. And that and varies that's usually depending like on 500 the, bucks or something or it, it depends if it's saying? a coffee shop, then it might be 50 bucks, right? If it's a, a fine dining restaurant, it might be $1000. Um so it, it usually starts at about 10 times the PPA per person check average. Um and we usually do 10, 20 and 30 times and those are kind of the tiers. Um during the pandemic, it's we've kind of come down to about five times. But sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and then the customer, the benefit to the customer is that they get, you know, they're buying three hundred dollars worth of credit for two hundred and fifty bucks, correct? Ex- exactly, exactly. So they get they get a bonus uh, for buying, and that bonus increases the more they buy. So if you buy the, you know, the two hundred fifty, you might get three hundred, and if you buy the thousand, you might get thirteen hundred. Uh, can the restaurants put any restrictions at all on that, on the usage? Is it like you can't come in with a party of 10 or you can't put it all on booze or? No, we, um, we, we've experimented over the years with restrictions and it ends up not really, uh, yeah, not really being good in, for in the, in the long run. Like, um, we don't, you know, we, 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 we kind of control the way that we sell the credit. So, um, so we don't, we won't, we wouldn't, like, we never want to cannibalize revenue, right? So you don't want somebody who was going to have a, an event to buy credit and then have that event and they just spend the same and get the discount. So, like, that's not allowed. But if somebody were to um, to buy the credit and then decide to have an event at the restaurant, like, that's great. You know, that's a great use of the credit. So um, we, it's kind of in how we market it um, is, is important to us. And that, that, again, comes back to that, Five, maximum 5% of the revenue for the restaurant, you know, coming through the redemptions. Um, 
going back to, sorry, Jenny's earlier question I didn't answer, which was what happens once we sell the 200,000 in credit is we actually will finance the restaurant another $100,000 for 200,000 in credit. Uh, they have the option to not take it. Like they can say no, but um, 90 plus percent of restaurants would say, yeah, sure, you're gonna give me more money um, and take more You've credit. You've had 90% of people that do re-app. Yeah, it's, well, the, you know, the, we, during the pandemic, it's a little, a hundred percent of the people during the pandemic that we've sold out of credit have re-upped. Um, so it's, it's, it's actually higher, but if a restaurant, you know, goes out of business. So we, I think we had 1.8% loss rates in 2019, then they, then they didn't re-up obviously, but otherwise if a restaurant is still around, uh, they always re-up. Is that typically for the same location or is that for like another location? How does that piece work? Um, yeah, we have a restaurant called like uh, Ravenous Pig in Winter Park, Florida. They're great, great operators. So we, we funded them the first time to buy, uh, to buy their building. So our money is not debt. Um, and so it's, it's equity. It's you know, cash they can use and so use it as a down payment. And then they um, remodeled the parking lot. We, we funded that once we sold out of credit. Then they bought the building next to them. They opened a beer garden. I think we've worked with them seven or eight times now. Um, and even during the pandemic, we, uh, we sold out of credit there and, uh, and funded them again. So they, it can be, uh, it can be, you know, we, we encourage restaurants to use the funding to help, um, with increasing revenue. So if that's building out a patio or, um, or cutting down on expenses. So sometimes, you know, restaurants are in a merchant cash advance situation, for example, um, and they need to get out of that. So they can use our funding to get out of that because that'll save them on the expense side. So we, we really like it to either increase revenue or to save on the expense side. Is there, tell us a little bit about the approval process and, you know, ideal people that you fund. I, I ask the same thing. Uh-oh. How do you, how do you guys always know that you have, uh, or how do you do, how do you evaluate people, I guess, to, to see that they have a, a great business model or that they're going to hit their projection numbers? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what's been uh, the first year we did this. We had a forty five percent loss rate, um, so we weren't very good at it. Yeah, um, so you know, and then I, I think uh, the right the year before the pandemic, we had a one point eight percent loss rate. So we actually um, have gotten very, very, very good at our underwriting um, and and sizing the right amount of credit. You know, if it's a brand new restaurant who doesn't have a, a track record. You know, we look at things like, um, you know, where did they cook at before, right? Or has there press around it? Like, um, but then I think, you know, what we, a lot of the secret to what our success has been is that we really help the operator be successful. So, you know, that's paying their rent, for example. That was the number one thing that really helped um, our restaurateurs sleep well at night is that they are never going to get locked out of their spaces. Um, you know, we lost a little bit, uh, because people were behind on sales tax and they didn't then pay their sales tax, uh, on time. And the, then the county shuts them down. So we started doing that. If you're behind on sales tax and you're on a payment plan with the county and we give you funding, then we'll do the same thing. We look at your point of sale. We look at your daily sales tax, how much is owed. We put it in an account and we pay it to the county. Right. So we do kind of help with cash flow management. Um, we help on the marketing side to drive in more traffic, um, 2% of the credit that we buy, we actually reserve to give away to people just as gifts uh, and tell them to come into the restaurant and check out the restaurant. So we, we really do take a long-term approach with, with the restaurants we work with to say, okay, like, okay, you're slow, you know, this, this, 
first year of opening, that's okay. Um, you know, it's going to take us a little bit longer to sell credit. How can we help to make you busier, right? And because at the end of the day, year two, you know, when we sell out of our credit, you're gonna we're gonna fund you again. So now we want to you know to have those relationships that to, to work for both parties, um, kind of long term. Got it. Um, we uh, it's a lot to process when we're, yeah. it's, it is a totally different way that people you know people that we're used to talking about funding funding a restaurant. So it's it's definitely interesting. And I know you know I'm sure you're I. Obviously, you're a business too, like we said. So basically, the way that you get you're expected to get paid back over three years is essentially how it works for you. So what is what does that look like? Is that what you're expecting as a three year payback? Term Sorry. And- uh, so, so to be clear, we we get paid back. Or not paid back. Uh, yeah. We we yeah we so we sell the credit to consumers right. usually within a twelve month period. Within twelve. And then the correct. consumers are holding the credit and typically redeem over a three year period. Got it. And so you guys are basically a two-sided marketplace, right? So you have the restaurateurs and then you're marketing it to the customers. And tell us a little bit about the customer acquisition piece for for you all. Is it really just, you know, driving traffic to the websites like you mentioned? Um, how how has that been? And what is your what does your growth there look like? Yeah, so that's definitely where we're where we're spending uh, the most money. Uh, well, Funding restaurants is where we spend the most money, but um, where we mm-hmm. kind of on our operational expense side um, is is on the marketing, right? Is to to really um, the the more users that we add to the in kind network, you know, the easier it is to sell credit, um, which is really great. Um, so we're you know we're actively doing ads and all kinds of things. Um, we have a, we have an initiative in New Zealand uh, where you can actually buy a Universal House account and use it at 2,500 businesses there. Uh, so that's really compelling to a consumer, all right? They can they can buy a house account and they can use it anywhere. Um, so those are things like that we're testing here um, in the U.S. Uh, Do you have a lot of consumers it. that have multiple house accounts um, in we, the U.S.? In the U.S., it, it depends on each city. So we have the highest density probably here in D.C. where I'm sitting, and then second would be in Austin where, I, uh, where we live. Uh, the business is based out of. But the thing is usually like if you're going to one restaurant and you're buying a house account, you know, and you're, you're like, you're going to that restaurant a lot. It's not likely that there's another place that you're going to prepay a thousand dollars to go into. Right. So what we'll do is we'll give you credit to go there. So we'll be like, Hey, go check out this other restaurant. Here's 50 bucks. Go check it out. And then if they really liked it, then they'll buy a house account there. Uh, but oftentimes they won't because they're like, well, that's a that's a big purchase, you know, for that place. But they'll just continue to be customers of that place, right? So we and then so it's not like our our metric isn't really, you know, are they buying at multiple places, different house accounts? Our metric really is like, are they going and trying out different restaurants in the network? And then even if they continue going to that restaurant without buying a house account, we're super happy with that outcome. Um, and how many there are, are, are like repeat purchases for the same restaurant? Oh, uh, um, I think the last time I looked at it, the average consumer buys two and a half house accounts at the same restaurant. People come in and they, it's, it's astonishing the, uh, the data on, um, on spend and frequency of visit once you buy a house. I mean, account. we go to the same five restaurants yeah. every week. So like if it's I'm going to get a 10% discount for life at the same five restaurants, I would, you know, as a consumer, I would certainly do it. And you would, um, you, and you'll you'll actually spend eighty percent more each time you go in, and now 
I don't know how you're going to do this because we're in the same five that. restaurants. Doesn't sound <laughs> good to me. That's not enticing. I 80% more. You'll spend a lot more money than you think. <laughs> no. Um. Cool. Yeah. No, we like to. Um, it's 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 super. It's it's an interesting model. Um, and tell us everybody about what the. So I think we talked a little bit about this, but it, basically it's fifty thousand dollars for every one million in revenue that you're projected, and that's pretty much standard across the board. So what's like the range? You, you do you do people that are five hundred thousand dollars, or do you have a minimum? And what's the max for funding opportunities? Yeah, uh, right now the minimum is is uh, is fifty thousand. Um, so uh, we just don't have the ability to scale um, to service you know um, smaller restaurants than that at the moment. Um, the largest, uh, we have, uh, eight figure, um, uh, funding commitments, um, and, and deals for big restaurant groups. So I think we last month signed up, uh, five major restaurant, I'm sorry, last quarter signed up five major restaurant groups. We have 40 uh, restaurant groups currently in, uh, that we're in discussions with for funding. So these are big groups with you know, 30, 40 locations um, that are looking to expand in the, uh, during the pandemic. So those would be substantial funding amounts. You know, the, the largest we have, is, I think it's 30 million. Um, we have several $10 million ones. So it kind of, it really just scales depending on the, on the type of business. And then the, the sort of the, the, the cash flow support we provide also changes. So if we're working with a big restaurant group, we don't need, you know, we don't pay their rent for them. They have a CFO that does, does that. Um, but if we're working with an independent restaurant, then we do, you know, um, so yeah. And what percentage of your clients are independent versus the you know, multi-restaurant groups? Um, it's been, it's been interesting. So before the, before the pandemic, I think the largest group that we worked with had eight restaurants. Um, and that was unusual for us. Almost everybody was one or two, maybe three restaurants. During the pandemic, what has happened is um, a lot of these big restaurant groups are seeing the opportunity to expand. And um, so they've reached out to us, private equity backed groups, you know, venture capital backed groups that are um, are looking for funding to expand um, right now. Um, so we are working with a lot, a lot of groups. So and the, and the funding amount for groups is a lot higher. So as a you know dollar deployed perspective, uh, it's a very significant amount is going to groups. Um, but our goal is over the next 12 months, um, to work with 10,000 independent restaurants. Um, so we're really scaled up a lot of our technology, our backend, our hiring. Um, we've tripled in size in the last 60 days in terms of employees at InKind. Um, so to really, really, uh, to service, uh, the need right now in the market, which is huge, um, for funding. So I'm does the, oh, go ahead. sorry, does the credit to loan amount ratio change based on the size of the group or whatnot? Just, I guess a private backed equity or private equity backed restaurant group that has 10 restaurants looking to expand. Why do they need to take a hundred thousand or whatever million dollar loan at a $2 million cost? Yeah. So I think it's just not raining to me. Yeah, so I think it's really important to understand the costing there. So if if we give someone a million dollars, we take two million dollars in credit, um, and one point six million dollars in credit gets used. So if your food costs are thirty percent, I can't do the math that fast, but it's something like I don't know. I saw this on the website. I think, and my my question is, the food cost is thirty percent. 
the rent is 20%, labor is 30%, um, insurance costs, there's lots of other costs that, that leave you with probably 90 to 95% costs. So that gives you guys 60 to 65 that are not being mentioned in there. The margins yeah, are so, so small that 70% is not a profit margin. Yeah. That's... Yeah, so it depends. So, yeah, so this is where the, the nuance is really important. Um, so if there is a seat that is empty in a restaurant um, and that seat is occupied by an incremental customer then and only one or two in the whole restaurant, if you had 10 in the restaurant, then you would have to include additional labor costs or, or rent or, or whatever else, right? So, Or if we're displacing a table, so it's a Friday night or a Saturday night, and um, the restaurant is totally full and a customer is coming in and using their in-kind credit, right? Then there is an opportunity cost for what you would have been making in, on, in net uh, from that customer has been displaced. So you have to take into consideration all of that. Um, and even if you do, um, the effective interest rate on our money, um, essentially over a three-year period, is if we give someone a million dollars, the actual cost, including displacement and everything, is about 80% of the, uh, the money that we gave them. So for, for restaurant groups, it's actually, it's like, that's why we have 40 restaurant groups currently in our, in our uh, that we're talking to is because they do the math and they're like, this is by far the most affordable financing. There's no other financing that will cost you less than, uh, than we, than the, than the provider gives you. Right. So it just doesn't exist. So that's where the so you're equating um, it to like a twenty percent interest rate. Negative twenty percent interest rate. Negative twenty percent interest rate. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of a weird thing to, to think about, right? That's not that's not a thing. There's no such thing as a negative interest rate. But our cost, if we give a restaurant a million dollars over a three year period, their total cost, including the displacement of other tables, will be eight hundred thousand dollars. So if you get a loan for three years, you have to pay back the million dollars in principal plus something on top in interest. Whereas for us, you know, it's actually a negative. Um, interest rate. Got it. Cool. All right. I think. What's up? I said got it, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's really. A, <laughs> I, I think so. There's this a is a lot of model. math for post-lunch for uh, Alex and I. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, cool. Well, we like to do a little bit of a lightning round. Uh, so we quick one to two, you know, word answers. Um, so let's kick that off what is your what would you say is the best business resource for the hospitality industry besides you guys <laughs> you can't name yourself. can't name yourself no no definitely uh business resource that is such a good question because there aren't a lot of great business resources for the hospitality industry um and people in the industry don't have time to listen to podcasts and <laughs> like read a lot. Sure, they um, do. Come on, opening soon <laughs> on Heritage Radio, Radio Network. Network. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I hope they're listening to this whole thing. You know, I think it would be helpful. Um, you know, I think. Oh man, I'm gonna have to. I don't even know the answer to that. Um, I think really, it's it's talking to. Uh, to other restaurateurs that are successful and seeing what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, and I think that that's what, that's how everybody learns. And that's, um, you know, the, to us, to me, the, the rest, and this is a much longer answer, sorry. Yeah, other restaurateurs would be like the short version. Uh, the people that are most open-minded and, and are willing to 
to be vulnerable with their peers and be like, hey, I need to solve this problem, like end up getting really great answers and then and are successful. But I agree. That's usually the, the number one answer is always either your peers. a specific person or people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with that. What is the biggest uh, barrier, you, barrier that you see to restaurateurs starting their business? Um, today, it's um, getting the landlord to uh, convince that they are a good operator um, and not a, and low risk. So landlords don't need to make as much money today, but they don't want to take as much risk. Interesting. You would think that landlords would be like happy to have somebody come in the door right now. But you, you feel like they're being more selective than previous. Yeah, definitely. Because also, if you think about it, like a landlord's paying 6% of the total lease amount to brokers, right? So <laughs> that's a lot of uh, expense for them. Yeah. What's the, um, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing restaurateurs in 2021? This is going to sound strange. It's going to be, it's labor. Um, so, you know, even restaurants today that are great restaurants are having a hard time hiring labor because of all of the um, unemployment benefits that are still being offered. Um, so in, in markets where you'd expect that there would have been a lot of labor because there's a lot fewer restaurants, um, while the unemployment um, subsidies, which are great and people need, and I'm not in any way arguing against against those, uh, but it has created a labor shortage um, for restaurants. I mean, the problem is also that people aren't being paid a living wage in, in some hospitality jobs. So I think there's also the disconnect to the guest that you have to pay for what food is worth so that businesses can pay their employees what they deserve to be making. Um, when unemployment is better paid than actually working, then... That's a huge problem. How much we're paying people. (laughs) That's a huge problem. It's not that, you know, people are getting unemployment. It's that people are not being paid their worth. But yeah. Yeah. So I I think very quickly related to that, I think that because good operators have now figured out ways to increase revenue outside of their four walls, right, through delivery or whatever else, that hopefully means there's more revenue coming in so they can actually pay more to the labor, right? So hopefully, I think because they can increase their revenue – outside of their four walls, they'll actually be able to pay living wages, which hopefully will be the trend in the industry. Yeah. I mean, we say this all the time on the show. It comes up over and over again. It's that, you know, you say hospitality is the business of serving guests, but you're really in the business of employing people because we all know that labor is what it takes to make most restaurants, you know, run. Um, anyways, okay, so last part, is, last question is favorite part about investing in restaurants? Eating at them. <laughs> drinking <Yes>. at them <laughs> by I far would, I would agree by far. where are you eating tonight in DC um, I'm probably going to uh, Paraiso uh, I have right after this podcast I have a uh, um, meeting there with the owner um, he has seven restaurants here in DC and um, so I'll probably eat there it's good it's, uh, it's a new concept it opened during the pandemic um, yeah I've been eating at Yardbird <laughs> probably like seven for the past seven days which is uh, a, a lot, lot of fried, fried chicken. chicken yeah, yeah. That's a lot of fried <laughs> you chicken must have a lot of credits <laughs> he was a, yeah he okay. a lot of dining credit um cool all right so i well that was a perfect segue into our opening soon announcements so i guess yardbird just opened in dc anybody else you um and sorry and tell me the the paradiso is that what you the other one you shouted out just now yeah paradiso um they're here in dc 
Uh, Las Camales, oh my gosh, incredible. They opened last week uh, here in DC. Uh, they have a restaurant called Espita, and then they just opened two Las Camales over by Union Market. And I actually have been eating there for lunch every single day. Uh, it is unbelievable. Um, Oaxacan, they make all of their own tortillas from blue corn they bring and they make masa. Incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, otherwise, we're working, I mean, we're working now with Bluestone Lane, you know, who's opening more. Michael Mina, um, Matthew Kenny is an incredible uh, plant-based chef. So a lot of, a lot of openings in the in-kind network. Um, it's a lot of food. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, that's what I love for the job, you know, is I get to go and eat with the, the owners of restaurants. And end of the day, that's why we created in-kind was because I didn't want to go into a restaurant and be taking profits or harming that restaurant because then it's not fun to eat with the restaurant owner anymore, you know, when he doesn't like me. <laughs> so then the number one reason is if you're taking money from them, you know, they're not going to like you. And that's why we stopped a lot of that, the, um, the weekly rebalancing and all of that. We were just like, never mind. Like, we'll figure out a way to sell the credit and uh, we'll work with the restaurants to make them more successful. And then when I go in and eat there, they're, you know, they're like, hey, let's have a bottle of Barolo. You know, that's great. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, lots of opening, opening soon announcements, which is a good sign for, for the industry as people get vaccinated and um, people are rebuilding. So there's definitely some spring shoots. It's really exciting to see. So let's wrap it up, Al. You want to? Yeah. Um, you can find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Till at NYC. Um, Johan, how do we find InKind? Yeah, InKind.com. And are you guys on social? Your digital Ooh, marketing machine. Social. <laughs> social. <laughs> we are. We are. Um, and I'm like the. Uh, I'm not personally. Um, so um, yeah, I think. I think our. I think if you search in kind, you'd be able to find us. Um, but definitely for for you know for people that are listening and who want uh, funding, the best is to go to the website. Yeah, inkind.com, and it'll funnel you to the right team. And uh, we love. You know, I think. If I can leave everybody with some hope, like I think now is the absolute best time in a generation to open a restaurant. Uh, there's going to be incredible pent up demand. Landlords are finally, you know, being reasonable with leases. Um, and it's going to be, you know, next two or three years are going to be the time for restaurant owners. They can open without investors, without debt. Like they can make the money. Like I think it's going to be a great time to be opening restaurants. I love a hopeful send-off. Yes. Thank you, Johan. Thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. I appreciate it. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>